Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. And we're back again. Woohoo! Boom! Yeah, yes. Woo! <laughs> we may not be informative, we may not be funny, but gosh darn are we consistent. <laughs> we are always talking about this stuff. Should we do it? Should we start with the question of the month? Do we have a question of the month? Yeah. I don't know. Or do we just want to I was, <laughs> All my energy's gone now. I was so excited to start. We'll do the question of the month when we get to Woo! The, when we get to the Woo! letters page. All right, so. Woo! Two issues. Two issues. Exciting issues. We're going to finish off the Eternals, and I, I don't mean that literally. I wish, but it's no. the Avengers movie adaptation of Logan's Run. You remember Logan's Run? Where they all had to go to that thing? I never saw start. Logan's Run. Yeah, you're not missing anything. What am I? What am I? Eighty? No, because you'd be dead. Logan's Run. Yeah, you're only allowed to be like twenty five or thirty I years 35. old. Thirty five. No, thirty five. They could become president. <laughs> Isn't Logan's Run a Wolverine story? Yes. Or Wolverine Run. That's every Wolverine has a story. or something. Every Wolverine story is Logan's Run. Do we don't? Do we want to do? Or should, there, should there be more shenanigans? No. Am I no, supposed to ahead. ban for some more no, time? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, what Let's happened last it. time? Oh, <laughs> I'm waiting for you. Right. Previously on the Avenging Hour, last episode had it all. Ronald Reagan, Captain Marvel's parents, half of the Fantastic Four, Hawkeye on an episode of House Hunters, a Captain America villain with a TV for a head and his face in his chest, a bunch of Hulk clones, a pair of vicious pants, and a downtown soiree crashed by a group of near-immortal aliens. And now, episode 112. You know, it sounds so much better when you recap it. (laughs) Avengers number 247. It's from September of 1984. It is by Roger Stern and Al Milgram. You know, much like us, they may not be interesting, informative, or fun, but gosh darn, they're consistent. I kid. I kid because I love. It's been like eight years that they've been doing this now. <laughs> it seems like it. It's so funny because I remember I remember back in the recesses of my memory complaining about teams that were always the same, and now I'm just like, can one of you leave? This is clearly, it has to have been the longest collaboration. Since, it's probably, seriously, probably since, what, Roy Thomas and Don, and Don Heck? No, longer than that. It seems like Don it. Heck wasn't on the book that long. I guess since Stan Lee and Don Heck. Anywho. I, I don't even look anymore to see who's doing it, which is weird. One of these times I'm going to slip up. Well, Al Milgram's <laughs> going to be leaving here shortly to move over to the West Coast book. But oh, right. And then we get uh, Big John Basima. That's right. Anywho, this is The Ties That Bind. Ah! <laughs> Giant She-Hulk face. She's calling the Avengers to let them know that Wasp and Star Fox were kidnapped by baddies, but she has Fantastic Four business, so she can't help with the rescue. While the Vision and the Scarlet Witch get busy calling in the troops, the Vision thinks ominous thoughts about his secret plan, and Wanda wonders when the toaster she married got so uppity. Cut to New Orleans, where Captain Marvel is sharing a meal with her parents, where they are still talking about her life as an Avenger. Jeez, people, she's had brunch with the Wasp. Get over it already. CM starts to make her father some kind of job offer when she gets the signal to head back to the mansion. I'm sure we're all on pins and needles about this mysterious job offer, but we'll deal with it another time. Now we're off to northern Greece, to a smaller mountain in the shadow of Mount Olympus, where Wasp and Star Fox have been taken. Icarus of the Eternals is explaining to our two Avengers that this has all been a big mistake. Sorry for the kidnapping, our bad. As the duo begin to learn that they know some of the same people as Icarus, like Thor, a ruckus breaks out. Seems Cersei is awake and she is not happy about being shanghai back here, even if this is her ancestral home and the rest of the Eternals here are her family. In fact, that's why she was brought here. The Eternals of Earth have to reach a decision and all Eternals need to be involved. But first, Cersei gets some revenge on her kidnappers and then flashbacks. Yes, it's flashbacks that explain all about the Eternals, and we might as well cover it here, or I'll have to talk about it later. Icarus and Cersei do some tag-team flashbacking, explaining that thousands of years ago, the Celestials, giant space gods, came to Earth. The Celestials did some testing on the primitive men of that time, which created two offshoots of humanity. 
One, the Deviants were a decidedly non-human-looking race that built weapons of mass destruction to use against the other group, which were the Eternals. The Eternals focused on increasing their innate powers and meditating and free love, except for the civil wars that took place amongst their members. Finally, one side won and the other side was sent into deep space to prevent any more fighting. Kronos, the leader of the group that stayed on Earth, vowed to fight no more and devoted himself to science, until the day he caused an explosion in the lab that destroyed his body, but allowed his mind to survive as a sort of pseudo-cosmic entity. He was, for example, the being that created our old friend, Drax the Destroyer. Good grief, the flashbacks aren't done yet. The explosion that Kronos had experienced also is what actually made the Eternals immortal. Cronus's two sons, Zerus and Alars, put it to the rest of the Eternals as to which one would be their leader. Zerus was chosen, and hoping to avoid any more civil wars, Alars left the planet and sought his own destiny amongst the stars. And man, do these Eternals revere Alars, who sacrificed so much so that there could be peace. I mean, I don't know why there wouldn't have been peace if Alars had stayed on Earth. Were he and Zerus that big a couple of dicks that they would have immediately tried to kill each other had he stayed? Was there some reason they couldn't have both stayed in the same city? Or at least on the same planet? Whatever, Cersei and Icarus are about to declare it Alar's Day and have a parade to honor him, although perhaps they're just respectful because no one knows what happened to him. But someone does know. Starfox explains that Alars went to Titan, the largest moon of Saturn, where he found a civilization in ruin except for one survivor, a conveniently beautiful young and fertile woman named Suisan. Alars and Suisan became an item, Alars renamed himself Mentor, and the two of them repopulated Titan and built a civilization there. And Starfox knows this because because, lest we forget, Mentor is his proud papa. That means Star Fox is an Eternal. <sighs> Good grief. That was long, convoluted, and painful. Back at Avengers Mansion, Vision has remembered the name Cersei in a report from Thor, which also mentioned the Eternals' base at Olympia. He sends CM to that location where she finds the Eternals and our two missing Avengers, and they quickly call back to the mansion to assure Vision that everyone is fine. The two groups are communicating through a telescreen provided by the Eternals' administrator, Domo, and they're going to leave the channel open so the Vision and Wanda can follow along from home. Meanwhile, Thena, leader of the Eternals, and Domo are trying to figure out where Star Fox fits into their plans. See, the Eternals can all form together, uniting into a gestalt called the Unimind, which is a giant floating brain thing that they use to make really important decisions. The Eternals are at a crossroads, and they're going to form the Unimind to figure out what to do next. All Eternals must be part of it, and since Star Fox is an Eternal, he's been drafted. Another scene shift to... Oh, oy vey, is this Quicksilver plot still dragging on? He's still on the Balkans, throwing a hissy fit because Magneto injured Bova. He vows to take Bova to Adelon for treatment, and then to prepare for the day when he must face Magneto. Really, that's where we were headed for Odin knows how many issues. I think I'll take the excitement of internal, eternal administrative matters instead. And luck is with me, because that's what we're watching next as the Eternals prepare for Uniminding. CM thinks this Unimind sounds dangerous. If all Eternals are in the Unimind, isn't the city vulnerable to attack by the Deviants? <laughs> Poor little Captain Marvel. You're standing on the Deviants. <laughs> Icarus Eterna explains to her that the Deviants have all been fused into a giant cube and sunk into the Earth under Olympia. <laughs> it's fine, it's just genocide. Instead of turning and running from this race of psychopaths, the Avengers stick around to watch the Unimind. All the Eternals fly up into the air over the city and then begin flying in a large circle with Thena in the middle. Thena then starts to catch on fire and she turns into energy. That energy engulfs the rest of the Eternals and suddenly, where they once were, floats a giant 
brain. Everyone is in awe of this, including the Vision and Wanda, when suddenly the telescreen goes dead. It comes back up a moment later, and our married Avengers find their teammates in Olympia unconscious, with a large form standing over them. The figure says his name is Maelstrom, and he plans to capture the energy of the Unimind. To be continued. Our roll call this issue is Vision, Scarlet Witch, Captain Marvel, Wasp, and Star Fox. We also see She-Hulk, Icarus, Cersei, Thena, Quicksilver, and Makari. And our villain is Maelstrom. Let's get through these friggin' Eternals. <laughs> Icarus and Makari both first appeared in Eternals number one. That was July of 1976. And Thena first appeared in Eternals number five in November of 1976. We did the basic Eternals history last time. And you heard more of it here in the stupid flashbacks. I'm assuming Icarus is Icarus. Icarus formed the legends of Icarus. Athena formed the legend of Athena. And Macari for formed the letter of Mercury. Yep. They have basic eternal power set again. Superhuman strength, flight, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Macari um, has super speed. Macari, he's focused into super speed. And uh, he has been retconned as being certain superheroes from Marvel in the Golden Age. Mm. He apparently was Mercury, the superhero Mercury, and the superhero um, Foot Fleet or whatever. I don't know what the other one was. Doesn't matter. Green Goblin? Um, Hobgoblin? Was he one of the Hobgoblins? <laughs> Makari probably has the most experience with humans as all, of all of them. Really? Icarus is basically their their leading man. He's their Prince Adam. Yeah. And Athena is the daughter of Zerus and currently the leader of the Eternals because Zerus is dead. And Zerus is Zeus. She's Athena is skilled in hand-to-hand combat and is a scholar. She's also in love with one of the Deviants, Crow, who apparently she had no problem fusing into a block so she gets up every morning and walks down the block and kisses the block and that's it that's all i got oh maelstrom <laughs> sorry this first appearance for our villain as well maelstrom first appeared in marvel 2 and 1 number 71 that was in january of 1981 he's a hybrid his father was an inhuman his mother was a deviant he really doesn't like the inhumans and pretty much what we've seen most of him uh, which is basically Marvel 2 and 1. He has not been around very long. <laughs> was what, Thing and Black Bolt? Yeah, it's been him fighting the Inhumans. What makes Maelstrom probably the most interesting is his minions, which I guess we'll talk more about with your issue. Well, one of them, yeah. Maelstrom's powers are incredibly vague. He can absorb kinetic energy and use it for anything he wants to. Right. And when he absorbs that energy, it makes him get bigger. Yeah, well, he can use it to change his size. He can use it to project energy. He can use it for super strength. He can pretty much use it for to pay his bills, I guess. <laughs> Whatever he wants. Alrighty, I'm done. Please oh. talk. I don't really have anything to say. It is rather creepy that they took their enemies and turned them into some sort of stone and then sank them into their town square. And the Avengers are not, this does not phase them. And everyone goes, oh, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, it's cheaper than prison. I mean, really, they took an entire race of people. Which is weird because I seem to remember the Deviants showing up again. They will. And now that you've mentioned Maelstrom's origin, I'm trying to remember where the Inhumans came from. They were the Kree. Okay. The Inhumans were experiments performed oh. by the Kree. Eternals are experiments performed by the Celestials. Right, 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 right. That's why the c- and the Dire Race are scrolls. That yes. <laughs> That's why the Eternals are so much more powerful than the Inhumans because Celestials are better Celestial. than Kree. Sure, sure. Huh. We find out the professions of Captain Marvel's parents. This issue. Her dad's a firefighter. Her mother owns a seamstress shop. Mm. Well, it's, a, it's, a seamstress. it's delightful. My first note was there's nothing like Prince Adam giving us a history lesson. Yeah, Icarus has a horrible haircut. And it just goes on and on and on. It really does. And I, I'm sure there are people out there that like the Eternals, but I'm not one of them. When I was a kid, I used to go on vacation. Sidebar. When I was a kid, I used to go on vacation with my parents down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And there used to be a used bookstore down there that had comics. Bunches and bunches of comics. And they were all like 25 cents or a dollar a pound or something. It was like some ridiculous... <laughs> 
And I had almost, I got almost a full run of the Defenders, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, um, a bunch of old uh, Marvel team ups, and I got the entire like twelve issue, the first twelve issue run of the Eternals. And well, three out of four series wasn't bad. Yeah, but so when I read them, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool because because they didn't have anything to do with the Marvel universe. They were in it, but they weren't. Well, and actually, they probably were interesting because it was Jack Kirby. Yeah, so it would have been fun to look at. Yeah, it would have been fun. It would have had energy. It would have been. It would have been more exciting than this issue. But now that we've seen the Norse gods. Uh, we've seen, you know, Hercules and his people. We've been to all these different places that have all these like same group of people, basically, and the Crees and the Scrolls, and the, and you're just like, Ugh, whatever. Well, we have, I mean, these these characters basically are like generic Greek gods. We have the Greek gods, <laughs> exactly. We don't need them, exactly. You brought up an interesting point in your um in your write up where Thank they you. they say that Cersei has to be there and then they find out that Star Fox is, is an eternal and they're like well you have to do the Unimind too because all the Eternals have to be there and I I was waiting for Star Fox to go you know there's a whole other planet so I'm not sure this Unimind thing's going to work because you're missing a bunch of people well and, and are we really to believe that the Unimind would not have worked without Cersei I mean I, I think they could have formed it without her so why did she really have to be there and why do you like kidnap your people and force them to come? Exactly. If she didn't want to participate, don't make her participate. Strange. Do you want? I mean, so if the Unimind, because here's my thought: if the Unimind is a Gestalt form, then you're fusing all the minds that are in it. And if some of those minds don't want to be in it, isn't the Unimind going to be? Well, I guess that was their balance. Idea. I think that was their idea then that they'll gather all these people together because they all have different ideas of what they should do, and then this but, thing will like spin a wheel and decide <laughs> i don't know but if cersei's idea is what i'd like to do is for you to leave me the hell alone uh, maybe that's one of the opinions i don't understand how the unimind thing forms because all the eternals disappear are you going to tell me that they turn into this giant brain because that's weird and i don't the history of the eternals makes no sense well and and if this was jack kirby's history i don't know if it was part of that then i'm not surprised it doesn't make sense but first of all you have it seems like they kept splitting into groups you have Kronos's brothers People who left the planet that are never heard from again. His brothers aren't even named. Are those the people that went no, to I'm Titan? Oh, no, no, no. Those aren't the people. There's a whole other group of people. This is Uranus. Or, wait, let me see if I'm reading that right. Uranos. This is Uranos. <laughs> is it seriously? Did they spell That's it differently? That's his name. Uranos. <laughs> so, as far we as... We have to make it just slightly different than the actual thing. Let's change one letter. As far as I know, we never see Uranos again. <laughs> so, 12 years old. But it's true. It's serious. It would be nice to know what Uranus is up to. No, it doesn't make any sense. This group of people leaves, and then these the other people that are there, and there's two factions of them, and they are like angry. What they I mean like? And then spoiler alert: I'm gonna just jump ahead to my issue. <laughs> they end up splitting up into groups again, and more people leave. Like what? There are, are Eternals <laughs> all through space, and so I don't understand why Alaris feels the need to leave. Do he and Zerus not get along that badly that he can't, you know? And then, what was this civilization on Saturn? What destroyed it? And how did it leave a buxom redhead behind? Just one woman. One one nubile woman gets left behind so he can repopulate the planet. Also, if... Does that make them really Eternals then? They're only like half Eternal. And and if... What if she's a, what if she's like an inhuman? Then like Maelstrom could be a cousin of Star Fox. If these people are Eternal, why did Alars go from being a buff Gilgamesh type to being old man mentor nobody else is aging like, maybe they are maybe it's just really slowly well nobody else does he bleach his hair white is he trying <laughs> he has to look more yeah. wise he yeah. wants to look more wise so sure. he's bleaching his hair I don't like this <laughs>
You certainly wrote enough about it. Well, it just kept going and going and going. Any other comments, notes on this? No, I all of my all of my notes end in question marks. I made a bad Logan's Run reference. I made a funny joke about Maelstrom that's not all that funny in retrospect. So, yeah, no. Bullpen bulletins. Shooter tries to explain away why they raised the price of their limited series to 75 cents. It's for the good of humanity. He uses some lame excuse that they didn't want to have a bunch of different prices because it would confuse the retailers, which sounds not just stupid. The re- <laughs> not just the retailers, but more confusion could hurt the whole comics industry. The industry. It was the responsible thing to do. They didn't have a choice. They didn't want to raise their prices. But if they didn't raise their prices, the whole comics industry would have just imploded because no one would have known how to ring anything up oh my gosh i mean how do you just look at the price and punch it in the confusion these people it was really really overwrought and over un, over and under explained it was just it's, a huge cover job there right it's Shooter. too much to charge but really we had no choice and it's another one of these instances where he brings up something where if he would have just let it go i would have gone oh i had to raise the price yeah. Yeah, use a different kind of paper or whatever. It's cool. And then, so and then I caught myself flipping back to the cover and going, oh, this comic's only 60 cents. Do you remember when comics were only 60 cents? Because I really don't. I remember <laughs> when they were like 75, maybe a dollar. I don't even know how much comics are now. I have no clue. I think most of them are 4 or $5. That is ridiculous. Especially when you can buy a six-issue trade for usually 15 or 20 especially if you go to Amazon or the back market. <laughs> Amazon image trades are like 10 bucks. The first, Yeah, the first, um, the first trades the of their first series one. are always 10 bucks, And then the second one's only like 12 so no big deal. I'm not paying cover price for these things. I, I lost that collector mentality. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <don't>. me too. <laughs> uh, what else we got here? Uh, the hype box... Mentions West Coast Avengers number one, which we should probably read soon. Wait, there's a West Coast Avengers? I snuck up on me, too. Yeah, no, that's exciting. We'll be working on that soon. That's, is that next episode? Yeah, the next two episodes are going to be all West Coast Avengers limited series. People won't know what they're listening to. I know, right? What is this garbage? It sounds um, different than the regular garbage. <laughs> I was going to say, if they, if, they, if they can identify it as garbage, they'll be fine. That's all I got. Yeah, that's all I got, too. What about letters? Letters. David Hunter of New Haven, Connecticut wants a Captain Marvel limited series, and I'm actually kind of sad that that never happened. I am, too. There'll be a few Captain Marvel one-shots, but unfortunately, Monica Rambeau never seemed to be able to sustain her own limited series, which is a shame. I mean, we've seen her parents. They seem like they could help her sustain <laughs> What else is there? I was just assuming it's because female characters didn't really sell well. Still kind of struggle at times if you're not, you know, like a Miss Marvel or a Squirrel Girl. Or I think that's I think that's a I think that's a false idea that the industry told itself, especially in the '80s. Oh, I'm not sure about it. In the '80s, it might have been true. Well, maybe, but they weren't going to try. So, well, sure, yeah. Why waste time, huh? <laughs> we know it's going to go on. We can just go. put out six more Wolverine comics. <laughs> I, I, I realized that was at least she shows up in Next Wave. <laughs> Oh my gosh, best series ever. Um, Ed Hughes of Reston, Virginia, doesn't understand how Captain Marvel travels slower than the speed of light. Because if she travels at the speed of light, if she travels as a light, yeah. she can't go slower than the speed of light. He was explaining that all of her powers have to do with the speed of light. So it's, I guess, all or nothing. You can't, there's no in between. So his idea seems to be that if she wants to travel slower than the speed of light, she keeps changing back into human form as she goes along. <laughs> She's like jerked. jerked, jerked. Yeah. Like someone that doesn't understand how to drive a clutch. Or like my dad trying to fast forward a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is I think is interesting. Their response says they know how she travels slower than the speed of light, but they wonder if anyone else has any ideas. Which is my way to me is them going, we don't know, but we'd like you to come up with an answer we can claim was ours all along. Yeah, very Trumpian of them. Question of the month is favorite actor or actress. Let's do one of each. 
Ooh. Actor. God, you're going to make me think about it. Okay. Or, what are we doing first? Actor or actress? We'll do actor. All right. Favorite actor. My favorite. I'm going to pick two because they're... Sure. Uh, Paul Rudd and Sam Rockwell. Both good choices. I like them. I will pick... Boy, oh boy. There's so many I like that it's difficult to pick just one. I will... I'm just going to pick one I like a lot, not necessarily my favorite. And that's going to be Chris Hemsworth. And here's why I'm picking Chris Hemsworth. I think people see him in things like Thor... And they see him as the big, dumb, blonde. And I think he's good in Thor, a character who I don't think is particularly interesting, but I think he makes somewhat interesting. But I was really surprised last year when he was in Ghostbusters to find out how good he is at comedy. He's really funny. And if you watch some of the outtakes in Ghostbusters, he was cracking up Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKinnon and Kristen Wiig, women that know a thing or two about comedy. And I think if you can get them to laugh like that, I I think he has a lot more range than people give him credit for. Uh, Favorite actress? I'm going to pick Amy Adams. I've always, I've liked everything. Amy Adams is great. She does good comedy and she does good, serious things. There's a lot of actresses, again, that I love. Actresses like Sigourney Weaver, who I think is still really interesting. uh, And actresses, uh, older actresses like Kathy Bates or any of the actresses on American Horror Story, which I think do a good job. But I'm going to pick a younger actress who I've just really been enjoying. And that is Anna Kendrick. Oh, I really like Anna yeah, I could have picked her. She's one of my favorites, too. Yeah, she's I actually stuff. just saw the end of a movie with her and uh, Sam Rockwell in it, where he played some assassin guy, and she like became his girlfriend. It was really strange. I don't think I've seen that. I only saw the last 15 minutes. So I'm not really sure what's going on. <laughs> uh, as far as our bullpen people, Roger Stern picks William Frawley. I don't know him. Is that an actor? Uh, Al Milgram picks James Cagney, which, again, <laughs> I'm going to go with you. How old are these people? Uh, Joe Sinnott picks Lawrence Olivier. I mean, fine, I guess. Classic. Jim Novak picks Kim Delaney, who was on All My Children, which makes me like Jim Novak quite a bit, but he picks the soap opera actress. Uh, Christy Scheel picks Catherine Hepburn, which, I mean, I can't argue with that. Catherine Hepburn's great. Mark Grunewald picks Christopher Walken. I can't. I can't argue with – well, you can argue with that a little bit because Christopher Walken is an actor who, as he's gotten older, sometimes becomes a parody of himself. Yes. But I'll be honest and say that even as a parody, I find him interesting. More interesting than Robert De Niro doing a parody of himself. Or Al Pacino doing yeah. a parody of himself. Yeah, yeah. So, And Jim Shooter – Does anyone really have a favorite actor? Yeah, I hate him. <laughs> All right. Oh, MVP. Oh, do we do that? Yeah. I, I guess Star Fox. He keeps the story rolling by connecting the dots here, and he's kind of the main focus. I picked Vision because he manages to connect Cersei and Thor, which enables the Avengers to move the plot forward as well. Oh, did we so. mention what? Uh, did we did we find out yet what Vision was doing with the president? Oh, maybe they did. we were going to. I don't know. I don't remember. But you should bring it up. No, I'll bring it up. We're not going to bring it up. No, you want to bring it up like now or when we're done here? Oh, we'll do it when we're done. No. Useless character. Uh, Scarlet Witch with her constant worry and lack of action. I think the Wasp, who can't even be bothered to call to headquarters to let them know that they're not dead, which I thought was something of a bad oversight. She used to be the leader. Surely she should know that... She doesn't she... care. She's out having a party. Best quote, best quote taken out of context? As long as I'm here, I might as well humor you. Or, guess I put this away a little prematurely. <laughs> I picked, let all that is Thena be ours. It's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> it was a little odd. Avengers level threat? I literally have no idea. We don't have enough data yet. Mm. We need more time. Uh, final grade. Eh, C. So far, it isn't really an Avengers story. It's an Eternal story. I give it a B minus. Too many flashbacks, too many Eternals, and a stupid Quicksilver plot that won't go away. <laughs> too many Eternals. All righty. That takes us to issue 248 from October of 1984. This one again by Roger Stern and Al Milgram, and it's called To Save the Eternals. And I reply, do we really have to? Yeah, must I? <laughs> so, Maelstrom. Remember him? I bet you'd like to know what his deal is, to see what he has planned, to learn about his powers and background and momentous destiny. Well, too bad. We're going to spend the first four pages hanging out with Vision and Scarlet Witch as they land a Quinjet outside Olympia. 
We'll watch Scarlet Witch mope about her husband not talking to her anymore. We'll see her casually flick through some archival video of the thing using a handful of weird idioms to describe our newly discovered bad guy. Apparently Maelstrom got in a fight with Black Bolt and claimed to be part inhuman, but may have been killed in an underwater landslide before anyone could figure it out. Although here he is, so I guess he's not dead. We do learn that he can absorb other people's kinetic energy, which will probably be important later, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Vision startles Wanda by touching her. They talk about being married and sharing things and recapping the past two or three issues for us, and then they hug. But Vision has a creepy smile on his face, and I'm not sure we should trust him. Finally, we get to Maelstrom. It seems he has Wasp and Captain Marvel in some of those leech manacles to keep them from escaping by using their powers. Maelstrom has hooked himself up to a battery harness thing and is soliloquizing about absorbing the collective powers of all the Eternals from the Unimind and becoming unstoppable. Unstoppable in what and for what reason, I'm not exactly sure. Wasp makes a statement that prompts another three pages of villain speak and I couldn't possibly hate her more. Maelstrom tells us that his mother was a deviant and that the Eternals doomed themselves by allowing him to walk around among them without question, probably because no one wanted to awkwardly ask him about his amazing chest hair. (laughs) Then he just blanks out. Either because he's enjoying the energy surge, or he realized Wasp is useless. But that's when Vision strikes. Our ghostly leader rises from the ground behind Maelstrom and solidifies his hands inside the energy harness, shorting it out. Maelstrom wonders how Vision was able to approach with his minion Death Urge watching like a sniper from a tall tower. Death Urge just kind of shrugs. No matter. Maelstrom is more focused on the Unimine and how it's descending out of the sky. Seems like Scarlet Witch has joined the action and is doing one of her extended hex maneuvers. Within seconds, it's raining Eternals. Hallelujah. <laughs> Captain Marvel regains consciousness and blasts the manacles off herself and Wasp, although I'm not sure how, because weren't the leech manacles supposed to stop her from using her powers? And you're nodding yes, so you probably agree with me. They try attacking Maelstrom, but he gives off a woozy energy band that exhausts them immediately. I don't know what that is. I guess it's one of his powers. After exiting the Unimind and falling face down on the pavement, Star Fox regains his bearings and launches a flurry of fists at Maelstrom, obviously to no good effect. Instead of injuring the villain, we see Maelstrom grow larger with each punch. Soon, other Eternals are mindlessly jumping on the bad guy, and his power begins to surge. Vision then comes up with a plan. As Captain Marvel bombards our annoying antagonist with infrared heat and microwaves, Scarlet Witch buckles his knees from behind, and Star Fox moves in for the friendly offensive. Maelstrom can feel his vigor dissipating and calls for Death Urge to assist him. The mysterious ebony figure launches a spear at Maelstrom that pierces his heart, killing him instantly. Captain Marvel tries to detain this new threat, but he merely slips away untouched and disappears. The Avengers shrug. The Eternals finish their business and everyone goes home. But somewhere, halfway around the globe, we see Death Urge re-emerge from the ground. He saunters over to a bank of ubiquitous glass tubes and kneels down in front of a figure bearing the same enigmatic chest hair as Maelstrom. Apparently, he has clones. The end? Probably not. Our roll call this issue is Vision, Scarlet Witch, Captain Marvel, Wasp, and Star Fox. Thing shows up in a video... Icarus, Thena, Valken, and Cersei get speaking roles, and our villains are Maelstrom and Death Urge. I'm not going to tell you who Valken is because he's irrelevant. He's like, I don't know, Icarus's uncle or something. He's the most important, not important Eternal they could come well up with. Uh, Death Urge first appeared in that same issue as uh, Maelstrom, Marvel 2 and 1, number 71, in January 1981. At this point, Maelstrom thinks he's his servant, uh, there to murder his different clones, I guess, so he can escape bad situations and be reborn later. He apparently works for the cosmic entity known as Oblivion in one of those uh, 
hard to wrap your head around personifications of universal forces. Uh, he looks pretty cool. That's all I can say. And he eventually gets tied in with the Great Lakes Avengers, which is kind of funny. But at this point, he's still a mystery. He he has a big role in Quasar's book, and we haven't talked about Quasar yet because he doesn't exist yet. But uh, at least he'll be a member. Quasar. Yeah, he'll be a member. But he has a big role in his book where he kills Quasar and cuts off his hands. Not in that order. So uh, <laughs> just be cruel. <laughs> he's not. A, he's not a serial killer. He's not a monster. I just want to say before we get started that the the cover of this comic. This is the kind of cover that I miss on current superhero comics or pretty much any superhero comic published after like 2005. One of those covers that makes you go, what's going on? It's not even the best of those covers, but it just shows the Eternals falling from the sky with the Avengers standing below them and Wanda saying it's raining Eternals and Captain Marvel apparently preparing to catch one of them. <laughs> At least one of them. I'm not sure. She's like, I'm going to catch the cute one, not you, Star Fox. Um, <laughs> you creep me out. Yeah, but it's just, it's a cover that, that you look at it and there's something happening. And nowadays we'll get like 12 Avengers issues in a row where it's just... Like the team standing around. Someone standing there. Or, yeah, or looking like they're going to go into a fight or something. It's very, this is not a generic po- posing cover. Posing for a yearbook photo or... You could not put this cover on any other issue. Most covers now, you could put on any issue and it wouldn't matter right you could not put this cover on any other issue of the avengers it would make no sense well it would make me buy it why does it keep raining eternals every issue (laughs) what is going on here so the vision and wanda get to and the scarlet witch get to olympia (laughs) the vision and wanda and the scarlet witch they uh they get to olympia that kind of explains a lot and the vision goes off on a recon while wanda stays behind to watch the thing on the tv screen and when the vision comes back and scares her she pops off at him and I just kept thinking, how long was the flight over? You couldn't have mentioned any of this on the flight over? You decided to wait till right before you go into a fight to pick a fight with your husband? I mean, seriously. Wait, weren't they on a commercial plane? When when did they get on the Quinjet? No, they were on the commercial plane back from the White House. Speaking of which, should we oh, mention... Oh, right. They went back to the mansion. Should we mention why they went to the White House? Oh, right. So Vision is uh, was talking to President Reagan about setting up a cabinet-level position for the chairman of the Avengers. Yes, the chairman of the Avengers would now be a member of the president's cabinet. So then he could take over the world! Now, as far as we know, that never happens. But right. that's what they were discussing. So yeah, anyway, yeah. Wanda, pick your, pick your fights. I mean, seriously, the flight from New York to Greece is going to take you at even in a quinjet it's going to take you at least six hours because it takes probably eight to ten on a commercial aircraft. I thought it only took like two hours to get down to South America from New York. It's true. So anyway, it's even if it's only 60 minutes, you have plenty of time to talk to the Vision. What else were you doing? When Maelstrom is interacting with the Wasp and Captain Marvel, in one way he's kind of cool because, you know, the Wasp is basically like, you know... (laughs) There's nothing cool about him. Yeah. The Wasp is basically like, well, you... You must not feel pretty very sure of yourself because you're keeping us us in chains, trying to taunt him to take the chains off. And he's like, I don't care. And she's like, he's like, if you're trying to shame me, it's not going to work. I'm without shame, which I would appreciate if not for the fact that why wouldn't he just kill them? For him to be, you know, like the book wants us to be like, oh, this is a smart villain who knows not to let the heroes get to him. He's only a partially smart villain because I can't think of any reason he would keep them alive. No, they they don't serve any purpose to him. Nope. And, and in fact, they're just going to get in his way. He's got to know that. Yeah, so why? I mean, you can't you can't try and per, per, portray your villain as this, as this, you know. Besides, I would have made him really badass if he would have just straight up murdered Wasp and Captain right? Marvel. <laughs> he mentions you mentioned in your write up that he wandered around the uh, city of Olympia and no one accosted him, which I find impossible to believe. Because when Star Fox and Wasp fell out of the sky, like the entire tribe of Eternals was there. Well, yeah, pointing at them. There's what, maybe, maybe a hundred Eternals. Yeah, they have to all know each other. Yeah, they have they've to. all grown up together. <laughs> and the, and even if you go beyond that, they've all formed the Unimind before, which means these guys have been in a Gestalt before. And I have to believe that 
leave some sort of residue. Yeah. yeah. That you can't just, there's no way they wouldn't have noticed him. Oh. <laughs> you see him walking down the street. Who's that guy? That's Fred. You don't remember Fred? That's Ken's cousin from like. <laughs> I also have in my notes the same thing that you mentioned, which is that Maelstrom has a very hairy chest, yeah. which is very odd in superhero comics. It's not something you see very often. No, it's like him and Hercules. That's it. Him and Tom Selleck. It's like, oh, and I, I recognize it was 1984, but even then. So. Well, he did say he has no shame, so. <laughs> or, or razors. He's just throwing it out there. He also has no eyeballs. One of the things I like about Maelstrom, and I don't understand it, but I like the idea that he's got Death Urge with him. And the only thing he wants Death Urge to do, because Death Urge did this in Marvel 2 and 1 as well. Every time Maelstrom starts to lose, he has Death Urge kill him. <laughs> Just kill me. Which I think is fascinating. <laughs> it's very strange. It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially not here, because when he throws his spear at maelstrom it goes through star fox's hand but it doesn't kill star fox it just makes his hand cold it looks like he pulled a street sign out of the ground and (laughs) threw a street Uh, sign at him uh we will eventually find out with death urge that his powers his powers have differing effects depending on how much you want to die so if you really want to die he'll he can kill you but if you really don't want to die he has much harder time killing you i uh uh, neither of us, I don't think, when you're uh, mentioning of Maelstrom and me with Death Urge, I don't think we mentioned who created them. No, because I don't I'm normally curious mention that. who would bring up this, like, that's such a strange power set. and It sets him apart from other, from other characters. He was created by Mark Grunewald, Ralph Macchio, and Ron Wilson. Who's Ron Wilson? He was an uh, artist. He was the artist in the book. Ralph Macchio is just an editor, right? And he was in The Karate Kid. Uh, and Death Urge was just Mark Grunewald and Ralph Macchio. Um, so, the end of the issue is supposed to be a big deal. The generic Eternals have now all left Earth and taken the uh, Deviant block with them. Right. Uh, but it's not a big deal. No one cares. Do you know why no one cares? These are Eternals. This is like Bob and Jim, the Eternals. These are Eternals. We've never... All the named Eternals that actually are parts of stories are staying behind. Wait, didn't Falcon leave? Yes. And I and I did like the fact that they took the deviants with them. And they well, no, that I was kind of weird. I don't know why they They don't take the deviant block no, with they them. They just throw them off into space. They throw them off. It's nice nice to put a nice little bow on the genocide that you that you did. <laughs> Screw these guys. <laughs> See ya. Oh boy. I guess that's how we get the deviants back cuz they go and land somewhere and like I don't remember. Someone turns them Galactus tries to eat them and then burps them up and they're the deviants again. <laughs> did you uh, have anything in the bullpen bulletins? You know what? I was actually kind of entertained by the bullpen bulletins. Jim, really? Jim Shooter tells a story about snowmobiling with Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson that is actually kind of funny. That, uh, that's pretty much bullpen bulletins. Uh, the hype box includes issue number one of the Machine Man limited series, which has some amazing Barry Windsor Smith art. Very good. Yeah. I've never read it. And, you know, Machine Man will be a member at some point of one of the teams. What, West Coast? Yeah, briefly, briefly, briefly. But he's on Next Wave with Captain Marvel. He is. I love Machine Man. So much better there. In yeah. the Avengers, he's boring. Yes. But wait till he becomes Aaron Stack, and then he's tons of fun. Letters page. Uh, Australian Brian Dubois correctly guesses most of the lineup of the West Coast Avengers before the comics even published. My only explanation is that they're on the other side of the international dateline, so it's kind of like he's in the future. Sorry. <laughs> he guesses the lineup except for one person, which I was actually kind of entertained by. Who would have thought? I had said before that the letters were generic and even the negative letters weren't a lot of fun, but Sherry North of Niagara Falls writes a frankly hilarious letter where all she does is complain about the Avengers and Thor and how bad they are. And she is so over the top and hysterical about how much she hates these books that it actually becomes comical. She's like a parody, like someone on Saturday. You could get someone on Saturday Night Live to read this letter and make it really amusing. She's, you, you, why don't you just quit writing any more Marvel comics altogether? She's gone a little bit. You have the unlimited goal to try ramming this new order of Avengers down our throats. 
take all of them and wrap them around a rocket and send them to the deepest and darkest space in the bottom of a nearby garbage dump. Why would I need a rocket to do that? (laughs) (laughs) What's their response? Getting better? Boo! You are beginning to stink! This woman, I love her. What's the Marvel response? Uh, We're happy with Thor and the Avengers. Sorry that you're not. (laughs) Very short and sweet. Uh, There's a letter from Leroy Quintana of Sapelo, New Mexico, who wants Wonder Man to join the West Coast team. He goes on to say that Wonder Man, Hercules, and Thor are his three favorite heroes. Kind of sense a trend there. Help me. Uh, Marvel responds that we'll see Hercules next issue. Hercules next issue. But oh yeah, we will. We won't because we're doing two episodes. We're of doing West Coast, West Coast Avengers. Avengers. We'll get back to them. You'll see Hercules in three weeks. <laughs> I feel like we can leave the Avengers at this point in time for a while. They haven't really been doing much. No, we'll let them. You know, save up some stories. Uh, question of the month: What is the best year of your life? Does anyone really have a best year of their life? <laughs> well, actually, I would ask that. Like, I can't think of a year. I'm going to be corny and say uh, 2000 because that's when I got married. <laughs> My problem with that is because I could say the year that I also not the year we got married, but the year we moved in together. But that was 2001, which I don't think I'm supposed to use as my best year for Why? 9-11. Well, that's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I'm, it seems like it's tacky, but it really is. It was, It was. I, if we're going to go best year, then that's the best year I'll take. It's but good. I don't know. I mean, I, I consider most of my years to be pretty good. Probably I have some worst years, but those are the years I was in having cancer treatments. Where I would say not the best year. Yeah, I could write that one off. It's their their answers aren't that interesting because because it's not an interesting question. I will say that Al Milgram says so far, you know, then he picks a year, which I think is true. Who was it? Was it Joe Sinnott that says the year I got married? He uh, clearly doesn't remember the year he got married. No, that was Jim Novak. Oh. Jim, Joe Sinnott <laughs> says 1944, which gives you an idea of how old this man is. Uh, uh, one of them, the colorist of this issue, which is sadly on Christy Shields, Juliana Ferritar says this year I'll be optimistic. Because she's got a job working on the Avengers. The one says, the year I was born, it's been downhill ever since. Hey. Mark Grunewald says, 1984, because that's my social security number. Which, first of all, I have to say, social security numbers are not for numbers. And second of all, I don't think you should give your social security <laughs> number out in the Avengers. So, anywho, MVP. I gave a division for putting together a plan. I agree. Useless okay. character. Wasp is pretty useless here. I picked Star Fox because things are going fine until he decides to start. He kind of screws things up by wailing on Maelstrom because the vision is Maelstrom pretty weak. And then Star Fox starts hitting him and it gives him all this kinetic energy. Well, in his defense, he was up in the Unimind thing. He didn't really know what was going on. Wah, wah, wah. Maybe he thought this was his chance to actually do something. I'm going to attack the villain because no one else is. Wrong. Wrong on Star Fox's Whoops. part. What is your um, best quote taken out of context? My mother was a deviant. <laughs> oh, how did I miss that? Because even when you said it in your write-up, when he was like, he said his mother was a deviant, and I'm like, oh, that's not something you should tell people. Uh, oh, that explains a lot about you. Avengers level threat? Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Final grade. I gave it a C plus. It was slightly more interesting than the last issue. There was some action. <laughs> Nothing was over-explained to me. I didn't have to learn anyone's history. I, I gave it a B for pretty much the same reasons. I, it's This isn't bad comics, but it's not. You know, we've seen flashes of brilliance from roger stern on this book so far at least i've thought so in some of his early issues and i feel like for the last 10 issues or so he's just treading water i like his basic plot line of something's wrong with the vision but we need something more interesting to do while we are trying to figure out what that is yes yeah, it's like a was it steve Englehart that used to try and plant those seeds issues and issues ahead of time yeah and this that, one seems like it's just been dragging yeah i mean yeah i mean he's got a great he's got a great idea for a plot 
but we need to either move it forward more quickly and find out what the vision's doing, or we need something better to fill our time. Because the these and the dire race and Spider Woman, they're just not. Oh, I guess Spider Woman was before the vision took over. But point being, we just I, I just feel like we, the the title has been competently good, but I know Roger Stern can do better than that. Anyway, gotcha. that's it. That's yeah. what we got. Oh, on our next episode, we're gonna do the uh, West Coast Avengers. Didn't write that up, did you? I didn't. <laughs> I wrote up the next Avengers ones, and I was like, oh, that's right. We're doing West Coast Avengers. We get to see the Shroud again. Yep, we get to see who's... We get to find out who's on the team. Who's on the team. Where they're living. It's exciting. A new villain, the Blank. Oh, is he the the villain? He's exciting. Yeah. And then an old villain comes back. Yes. Yeah. So there's some good stuff coming up on West Coast Avengers. We'll be on West Coast Avengers for two episodes, uh, because that was only four episodes in the limited series. And then we'll be coming back to the Avengers for um, for quite a while. Yeah, because that limited series. Because the limited series is like only a, four issues. Well, like a year later before the... Yeah. Maybe even more it, than a year until it, the... It'll be late September before the... For us, our time, before the actual unlimited series starts up. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to get in touch with us, our mail is... Uh, our email address is mail at avenginghour.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at avenginghour. We have a Facebook page on our web pages, avenginghour.com, but there's nothing there, so don't go there. And when we talk about, when we do talk about these certain panels and such, I do post this stuff on the Instagram feed. So on the Instagrams, uh, sometimes there's jokes. Usually, they're not. There's not. It is it's, gramtastic. It's just me, you know, posting panels so that you guys, as, as as we talk about this stuff as the week goes on, you can say, "Oh yeah, that's what they were talking about." We should footnote all of our episodes, and we'll we'll have <laughs> we'll have uh, what's the guy that annotated like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? What was his name Jess Nevins or something? Mm. We'll have him annotate our show. Yeah, I'm sure someone's really going to want to do that. Wait, isn't that what we do? <laughs> <laughs> no, we annotate the Avengers. Let's, they have to annotate our show. Annotate us doing the annotating. You people still listen to us, right? <laughs> Thanks again. See you next time. Bye-bye.